be patient with your child, love them. You never want to give up on your child. Try not to get angry at them. You know, that does nothing but reinforce their addiction. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma, where we seek out stories of resilience from individuals and experts in the field. I'm Angela Shen. Today, we're talking to Pat Nichols with the group Parents Helping Parents. He gives advice on how to navigate the difficult arena of helping a loved one struggling with addiction. First, I'd like to um, uh, share that I'm obviously not a professional in the field of addiction. I'm a, a parent with a lot of education and passion for parents of addicted children. And I think we all know that addiction is a huge problem and it continues to grow. And it's even probably worse now due to the pandemic or whatever we're dealing with here along with other mental illnesses. But the other thing I think, another thing I want to make clear is that a lot of people don't understand that what I'm talking about is the disease of addiction, a mental illness. Uh, I'm not talking about someone with a bad habit or maybe even a mild case of addiction. Um, talking with about a, say a child who is no longer in control of um, his action, the disease is in control, okay? And it's difficult for me early on and other parents to kind of grasp that. They believe it's a behavioral issue and just by setting boundaries or, you know, things of that nature that they can, but that I'm not talking about that type of situation. So the other thing is I want parents to understand that that are listening that there is no blame or shame. It is not their fault that their child is dealing with the addiction that I'm talking about. They have no reason to blame themselves. Even though other family members, friends will point blame at them, they shouldn't you know, take that as the truth. And then when I'm talking, there's probably some things I'll say that maybe the parent doesn't either understand or wanna believe, and that's fine. So just take whatever's helpful and forget the rest. Okay, that's kind of my thing there. Then I think I want to point out that we have a, a great app. It's a free app and you can get it on your app store by downloading through Parents Helping Parents Edmund. Parents Helping Parents Edmund. And that app is for resources and support uh, throughout the metro area as well as other across the nation. And you can either go in as a teenage uh, parent of a teenager or parent of an adult, and there'll be all, you just scroll through until you find a particular area that you're needing help with and just click on that. And um, always uh, say, you know, when you're looking for help, you know, keep the journal, write down who you talk to, who they refer you to. Even though you don't think it's helpful now, it could be very helpful in the future on situations that maybe you're not dealing with now, but you might be dealing with later on. And so that journal will be very helpful uh, to you. And then the, we have several chapters of Parents Helping Parents. And I want to be clear, I'm not speaking for Parents Helping Parents. I'm speaking as an individual. But Parents Helping Parents has a national board and a national process. And you can reach them at parentshelpingparents.info. Again, that's parentshelpingparents.info. And they have various videos on on their website of different topics that would be interesting to parents of addicted children, whether it's teenagers or adults. And so you'll find a lot of things on there. 
and then they'll list the different chapters. Maybe there's one in your area and they have a lot of other uh, great, great benefits. Anyway, I was going to just hopefully briefly let parents know why I started Parents Helping Parents. And one of the things was, see, my son was in high school in the early 90s, 92, 93, 94. I think he graduated in 95. And I had no idea what was going on, but his whole demeanor kind of changed. And I thought, well, maybe it's just part of becoming an adult or something. I couldn't understand. He became kind of defiant. He was no longer the, the son I thought I had. And the interesting thing is that I did never find drugs or alcohol. I didn't smell alcohol or anything like that. So that's something that didn't even come to my mind. The other thing I learned, and this is other parents already knew that my child was having a drinking problem or a drug problem, but they wouldn't say anything to me, you know, because I guess out of embarrassment or they didn't want to create any kind of conflict. And even the parents, I mean, the parents, the um, teachers at, at the Memorial High School, I think it was probably pretty obvious to, that there was something going on but no one from the school ever called me. And I don't know that that's the situation now. But in addition to that, you know, my son was a very gifted golfer and he was on, he was at high school and the coach um, called me and said he had to let him go because he's not participating and doing things and reacting in a way um, that's uh, appropriate. So that was another baffling thing. And without people sharing their experiences with you and maybe giving you some ideas on where you can find help, I just continued to follow along. Of course, my son got suspended from school. He would get arrested by the police. And back then, the Edmund police, they wouldn't take him to jail. They would bring him back home. <laughs> and so you know, this is kind of uh, humorous now, but back in the day, what I did was I went to Radio Shack and I forget what it's called, but it was a a system where I could listen to the Edmund police. So if he was out and about, I could hear if he was getting arrested or not. And I'm still watching TV. I'm listening to the radio. I mean, the whatever that is. And then I would also hear friends of his getting arrested. And I would call their parents. I would call their parents. And some of them didn't, didn't like me doing that. <laughs> so anyway, it gets kind of bizarre when you're the parent of an addicted uh, teenager at that point. But anyway... So because of that, I think God just gave me a passion that other parents shouldn't have to deal with what I dealt with. There ought to be some way to help a parent and just give them the help they need. And so then we had the juvenile court here. I think it's still in, in here. And I called the judge, Judge Alan Sinar, and I explained to him the situation and what did I wanted to do. I wanted to talk, start a support group for parents. So unfortunately, he has passed away, but he was so helpful. I was amazed. We had lunch, had a great conversation. And surprisingly enough, he allowed me to sit in the courtroom, which isn't open to the public. And he made me, I guess, some type of judicial representative or something legal so I could do that. And I could read the docket so I could see who the parents are, what the charges were, and I could listen to them in court. And then once that was so they would leave court and go into another room where an employee would help them fill out paperwork and 
whatever else they need, the, the judge needed them to do. And I got to stand outside the room. And when they came out, I gave them a card with my name and explained who I was. And I understood what they were dealing with and would they like to meet and maybe with a sport group. And so that's how it got started. We had many of the parents went on and created the national organization now. And I just basically stayed with the Edmund chapter. And we would have uh, meetings at the Oklahoma Blood Bank at McLaren's Pantry. And we'd have anywhere from 30 parents to one time we had over 75 parents. We couldn't even let any more people in the room because we have all these various speakers and they're excellent speakers with great topics. And But now we're basically Zoom meetings and that's all on the uh, website, parentshelpingparents.info. In any case, I started educating myself on addiction and reading every book I could. And eventually I found different counselors and especially the ones that came in and started speaking to us. I became personal friends with them and many people in other areas of like, you know, sober living homes, treatment programs. So when a parent called, I could kind of unprofessionally assess what they were dealing with. And then I would refer them to a person I thought would be in their best interest. And so I probably have talked over the last 20 years because we started, I think I started in 2000. Okay. And so it's been what going on 22 years now. And I've talked to thousands of parents all over the country once the website got up and running and even some people in foreign countries. So I've had quite an experience with that. And I wasn't really prepared for, you know, I guess being a male and a lot of, most of my calls came from moms who were very emotional. So it took a while uh, for me to understand everything that uh, was going on and how to deal with that. So anyway, you know, there's a lot of things I've learned throughout the years. And I guess one of the things is that each parent has kind of deals with this in their own way and in their own time. And that's fine. That's fine. But to me, there are some things that I have learned that works for the majority of parents. Okay. Now, I'm not saying it works for all the parents, but I'm just saying for the great majority, there are certain things that if I had to go back again, I would do differently. And one of the first things I would do is find an alcohol drug counselor to help me and my family process what's going on and how to appropriately respond and deal with certain situations. And when I say an alcohol and drug counselor, I'm not talking about <clears throat> maybe one that's on your insurance program, because that might not be the best one for you. What you want to do, you don't want to get led astray by someone who's not properly credentialed with the necessary experience. So because this can be a very difficult time in a family's life. So you want the best there is. And, um, and so that's another key area. When you, you make calls to counselors, you need to find out their years of experience. And I found what helps most is if the counselor has had their own experience with a loved one suffering from addiction. Could be a child or even an, a parent or whatever. So they've got all those credentials. And then a lot of people will take their child thinking they're having mental issues, which is possible. Obviously, a lot of the addiction and mental illness go together in many areas. And they'll go to a psychiatrist. Well, you would think a psychiatrist was properly credentialed. But if they are not credentialed in alcohol and other drugs and addiction knowledge, 
in addiction, you may be led down a different path that might not be to your benefit. So you want to find an addictionologist. Those are the ones that are trained as a psychiatrist as well as in addiction. And those are the best ones uh, for you when you're dealing with both a mental illness and, and the addiction. Then another idea is it's quite normal for, say, and I'm just saying statistically, not all the time, for the mom to be more codependent, more maybe willing to find help through a counselor than the father is. The father just wants to kind of slap the child out of it, you know, you know, straighten up, buddy, what's wrong with you type of thing. And so it's quite normal for both the father and the mother not to be on the same page. But even if they're not, it's okay for the parent to go ahead and that's part of the counseling will help the family stay together. And eventually, uh, hopefully the dad will join mom and they can work together. Then of course, all throughout this process, and what I've learned is how to react and deal with all different types of situations that addiction causes. One thing I learned is no matter what the conversation was with my son, he always let him know he was loved and that he was forgiven and welcome back in the family when he was ready for long-term recovery. And long-term recovery with the disease and the, the type of disease I'm talking about, addiction has to wear itself out. So the more people who are not involved in codependency and where he learns to deal with the um, issues that the addiction creates, as long as he's more allowed to deal with those himself, the sooner uh, recovery happens. Okay. And that's hard to do. That's real hard to do. Another thing I've always recommended to parents is obviously most of some of them have wills. And if they pass away, they leave their assets to say they're their addicted child. Well, that's basically potentially a death sentence. And I've seen that had one uh, family I was uh, talking with and and they just said, no, we can't take him out of the will. That's just not right. And I said, okay, well, they eventually got a divorce. The father passed away early and left his son five acres, a mobile home, a car. And he drank himself to death because he could, you know, that's the way addiction is. And so it's best to take them out of the will so they don't have any assets or money to use for their alcohol or drugs. And you can, you can set up a trust with an attorney. And it can be set up where they can receive maybe money for education or medical bills, things of that nature, but not anything uh, directly. Um, the um, other key thing is uh, support groups. There are many support groups for parents of addicted children, and some of them may not be quite as familiar, and they're on our app, Parents Helping Parents Edmund. And one that may not be so common is Families Anonymous. And Families Anonymous is a 12-step program. I mean, of course, you're not required to work the 12 steps if you don't want to. But at least when you walk into the room, you're going to be immediately accepted because all of them are parents addicted children. So they know exactly what you're dealing with and why you're there. And so you're going to feel like you just walked into a family gathering because they, that's how they make you feel. And so they have lots of great literature and you can find that at familiesanonymous.org. And there's a, there's a meeting here in Oklahoma City also. So that's available. Of course, there's Al-Anon, but there's also some other support groups uh, around too. And it's all listed on the app. And it's so important. Another key thing that a lot of times we, we don't, um, 
when we enter a, any type of support group, you know, we, it's kind of a different environment that you're not used to. And so you need to give it at least six meetings before you decide if that program is for you or not. So don't jump to conclusions or at your first meeting. And then eventually you'll find one that you're comfortable with if you'll keep searching for them. So I'm not sure. I think I've covered in generalities, at least a lot of things that I hope will be helpful. A lot of good tips there. Is your son still in recovery now or how's he doing? Well, yes, he has eight years of recovery. He's an electrician. He's uh, a joy to be around. He's, you know, one of the other key things here is what you have to do is grieve the loss of the child of your dreams, okay? That child's gone and that child's not coming back, but you'll get a new child, one that's in recovery. And once you accept recovery, then you understand his recovery and you can work together to support one another. So we've had a long history. You know, he would stay clean and sober for a few months uh, to almost a year. And then he would relapse and go back, which is quite normal with addiction. Relapse is very normal. Another thing that I would recommend to uh, parents is if you can, you can send your child to one, um, you know, treatment program, form of treatment program, but should be for a minimum of 90 days, if not longer. The other key here is hopefully to get the child into your counselor for a proper assessment. So that way, you know exactly what you're dealing with. That's their, that's their they're professionals. They understand how to uh, find out what all is going on, which the parents will have no idea, <laughs> but the counselor can get information out of the child that the parents have no idea about and then properly assess, assess them so that they can find the right program, what's best for them, whatever it is. And so only one time would I ever spend the money to send them to a formal treatment program. If they relapse and go back, there's other programs out there. Salvation Army has a program. They can go through AA, find a sponsor. So there's other alternatives. And many programs, and a lot of parents don't know to ask this, but they'll have scholarships. So many people may donate money to the program to help other parents who, who can't afford it. So always ask for the scholarship, see if they have a scholarship. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I hear stories all the time that still shock me. You know, you know, one time I had a parent whose child would break in the homes and to make a long story short, the parents decided they just couldn't send him to jail. So the father admitted that he actually did it and he went to jail for his son. And so you can that's pretty bizarre. But I mean, that's how addiction can happen, you know, and I guess the attorney, I think, got him off or got him on house arrest or something anyway. So he saved his son. But that didn't stop his son's addiction. They continued. So you just, a lot of crazy stories out there, but it's all normal, really, when you're in this, this world of addiction. Nothing really, and that's what's cool about support groups, because if you would tell some of these things to your family or friends, well, they'd fall out of their chair in disbelief. But if you're in a support group with other parents, hey, you'll get a hug. There'll be people loving on you saying hey let's have lunch and we'll talk and just stuff like that because they understand yeah you, there's no criticism in those type of groups yeah and, yeah that's good I, I never heard of the scholarship thing before that's really interesting yeah yeah there's uh, so many great books out there and in great online sources i think it's drugfree.org 
drugfree.org. So there's so many resources out there now that was never there back when, when I was going through it. So, yeah. What was the process like um, for getting your son to go to recovery? I mean, was it difficult or to convince him or was it his idea? How did that happen? Well, normally addiction will bring them to a point where they don't have a choice. Okay. They're homeless where the drug house or wherever they've been has, they don't have any ID. They're, you know, basically nameless. And so at that point, you know, it's either, Hey, we can go to treatment or you can live on the streets. What would you like to do? Well, I'll go to treatment. Well, addiction may not be ready for treatment or recovery, but of course, if they go to a formal program, that's part of the counselor's job. They know that the person is there and probably not ready. And so it's part of their job that first 30 days to get them ready. And uh, sometimes they can be successful and sometimes not. So it's not uncommon for them to relapse. And if they relapse, then always have a plan B in place. <clears throat> so it's just not a plan A thinking that's gonna work. No, I've got plan A and it doesn't work, I got plan B. And so if they go to plan B, I've got another plan B if that doesn't work. And so we just keep working on it until, until we do. There's a lot of free programs out there. You know, like I mentioned, Salvation Army is a very good program. My son's been through that twice, graduated, and they even hired him, and he drove a truck for a while. Eventually, he relapsed again, which is just nature of the disease. But anyway, I think, I think that's all I have on that particular uh, subject. I mean, also, what's cool, I might mention, too, is once they're in a program, and they also have their alcohol drug counselor, the alcohol drug counselor will work with the counselors at the treatment program. So you need an aftercare program and that counselor will help do that. Another key point or tip that I would suggest is wherever you, the child goes and gets into recovery and stays sober, he should stay in that area and not come back to the area where he you know, was around his other drug friends and, and enabling parents or grandparents and things of that nature. So it's best to stay wherever you got sober. And then once you've had a year or two of sobriety, yeah, you, you know, you can come back and hang out, whatever. But as long as you stay in the program. Yeah, that makes sense. Those are a lot of really, really good tips. I think this will definitely help people who are listening. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I would just say be patient with your child. Love them. You never want to give up on your child. Try not to get angry at them. You know, that does nothing but reinforce their addiction when you get angry at them or threaten them or all those types of different things. Which I've committed all those. That's pretty well an overview of everything. And I just hope people get the find the help they need. It's out there. Just got to go, got to do your research. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Mental Health Download. I'm Angela Shen with Mental Health Association Oklahoma.